Our talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Friday book. I talk where the pot never stops for good and for bad. We're slapping this one together. Sometimes you guys like it when it's a little bit more loose and raw. So over the years, mostly because of the influence of one Nathan Baird who got here and was like, hey, why don't you guys plan stuff? And it was like, plan stuff? What do you mean plan stuff? So we plan more than we used to, which is good. But we had said we're going to do an offensive line podcast, sort of like resetting, like, what's up with the offensive line? Because when we did a a call out for the tech subscribers a bit ago, we got a bunch of offensive line questions. It was like, you know what? We're going to save them. So this is that pod. But I haven't done a ton of research. Maybe you guys have done some. Steven said, you're, you're ready for this. It's kind of this. Like, we know that the 2023 offensive line, at least it tackles, is has some question marks. And we've talked about that, Nathan, ad nauseum. And I think for good reason. I don't think we've overdone it. I think we've identified. Fans could identify it. The people in the building at the Woody can identify it. identified something that is a potential issue for a very good football team. And we've talked about it a lot, but then what the state of Ohio state of the offensive line, maybe beyond 23, because we'll touch on 23 with a couple of questions we have, but really it's more than that. And you, a lot of times they when we've had these conversations, you said, well, yeah, okay. But whatever happens in 23 doesn't mean it's solved for 24 with the way the roster shapes up right now. What are you thinking generally about the state of the offensive line at Ohio State, Nathan? And do you feel like this could be a thing that remains a bit of a drag on the roster for multiple years to come? Yes, I do. And I think that Justin Fry took over in a situation that a a long-term fix was necessary. That you could, if if you land a, a significant player in that first cycle, that maybe that makes a difference. But if you're, again, just judging as we do by the Ohio State standard, when you project out what we think a 2024 offensive line will look like, because they're going to lose two more starters to the NFL after this coming year uh, in Donovan Jackson and Matt Jones, we think Donovan Jackson could return. That's, That's very much on the table, I think. But assuming he doesn't, now they're in a, you know, needing to find two more starters at the two places that are the ones that where they have some certainty right now. So uh, I wrote a thing, uh, this is, uh, sorry, wrote a thing for Wednesday's website about is Ohio State going to still be in this sort of, the, to use the word that you use, the desperation situation with the transfer, as it relates to the transfer portal. Will that still be the case after this coming season? And, I think it might still be the case on the offensive line in so much as I think any really good player on the offensive line that goes in the portal, Ohio state has to give them consideration. I think at any position, because again, you're, you're judging by the standard that is set and the way Ohio state is used to operating the personnel it's used to operating with. And they've absolutely drifted away from that. And there isn't somebody on this roster right now that you look at as a no doubt answer to the holes that are coming just as it was with the tackles a year or two ago. Steven, how, how potentially problematic do you think this might be? I think it's teetering on that side of things, but I think it depends on 
whether or not you think some of the guys who may not be starters right now can eventually be starters here. That's the problem we were in two years ago when we did that, you know, greatest team ever pod was we looked at the roster and we weren't confident with the guys who were developing in the background, eventually being starters here. If you feel like Tegra Shibola, Zen Maholsky, uh, Luke Mah- Montgomery, you know, Josh Padilla, Austin Sierville, all the miles Walker on down the list can eventually get to that level. Some of this start stuff might start to solve itself. Even if you do maybe have to spend one more year portal searching. Okay. Let's make a statement. Could, this is not a statement. How about that? Could does not have how a statement begins. <laughs> this is the statement. It's not a good one. Is it possible? No, that's not a statement either. <laughs> Maybe. Luke Montgomery is the most important player on the Ohio State roster. That's the statement. Now, that's a wild statement because Marv's on this roster. But for context, for length, for depth, for position, here's the thing. Ohio State at other times has been possibly been on the brink of teetering on the offensive line. You could feel them maybe being in a spot where it's like, man, I don't know if they have a ton of depth there. And then a guy like Thayer Munford came along and Thayer Munford was just like, I'm going to start for four years. We're good. Thayer Munford was a finger in the dike. He solved so much. And the entire offensive line conversation is not only a tackle conversation, but boy, oh boy, does it start at tackle. Luke Montgomery is a true freshman this year. He is a highly rated recruit and a potential tackle, Nathan. If you say, I don't know what's going to happen, but then if you follow that up by saying, Luke Montgomery is going to start at tackle in 24, 25, and maybe 26. Boy, oh boy, and play well. Boy, oh boy, does that, start to solve something because one of the issues right now, I mean, the issue for them at at tackle in 23 is there's not a sure thing that then allows you just to figure out the other thing. And that's maybe Josh Fryer is going to be a very good starter here, but you're not locked in right now the way you might be. And I want to talk about some other teams because there are just some certain teams that are locked in at tackle in a way that makes should make Ohio state jealous. Is it possible that Luke Montgomery does that for Ohio state, Nathan? First of all, I want to say, I think it's good that we about once a year, take like two minutes to talk about Thayer Munford because of just how important he was to that stretch of Ohio State football. And in fact, when I was doing that interview with Greg Stadrawa going into the NFL draft, I said about Dewan Jones, I'm like, that's about as like great of a like find as you've had, right? And he's like, yeah, but like Thayer Munford too, like that was a name that very quickly came to his lips just because people doubted everything about Thayer Munford and it came to fruition in such a, a perfect way. So if if you can find those guys and they turn out to be better than they're supposed to be, then yeah, that that works out great. I, I, I understand the point you're saying about Montgomery. I think there's a conversation that has to be had here, though, and it's not that whether or not they have five starters. Clearly, five people will start, and they may even have enough guys sprinkled in here that are going to be f- solid starters. It's like how many next level guys above that do you need to compete at the level that Ohio State wants to compete at? If Luke Montgomery is the best offensive lineman, then how good does he have to be for that to be enough? Do you know what do you understand what I'm asking there a little bit? It's like just look back through their history the last couple of years, the last several years. Like 2023, Donovan Jackson is a former five star. They've had 
in the previous four years, they had at least two former five stars on their starting offensive line. That does not include Harry Miller, who was going to be in that mix as well. So you would have added one person to each of those years uh, going back to 20. And I guess it actually does count for 2020. 2020, they had four. Yeah. Um, and then 2021 and, and presumably 2022 even, they would have had one more. And go back to 2018 was the last time they didn't have any five stars on the D-line. And that was a year where they had some issues with running the ball and red zone and things like that. So I'm, I'm, that's what I'm trying to suss out a little bit in the way that I'm evaluating this is, yes, they have the Luke Montgomery's coming and, and the Hensman's and the Padillas and the Cirovelds, even Shibola. But like all those guys I just named, one of them is the top 100 and one of them is just outside Tegra Shibola. And the other guys are, are that next tier down. And I'm, I've always been the recruiting rankings aren't everything guy, but it is a stark shift in how they're populating their starting offensive line from the way it has been for the past five, six years, which is why I think that even if it ruffles some feathers, they're going to have to be still very active in the transfer portal as far as offensive linemen, unless there's a big revelation that we see this fall. Ladies and gentlemen, Stephen Means talking offensive line recruiting. The floor is yours for the next 17 minutes. Like, it's just, it's, it's like, hi, my name is Steven. This is my doctoral thesis on Ohio State's <laughs> offensive line recruiting of the past five years and the next five years. Here's my PowerPoint. Like, it's, there's a lot. Is there a lot here, Steven? Or is it just like, not good enough, and there's actually not that much to it, and they just got to recruit better? <laughs> My TED talk is actually just me sitting Indian style in the middle of the floor going, so <laughs> I'm not going to have a PowerPoint. I just want you to ask questions and I can talk you off the ledge or tell you to jump. <laughs> That's what I can Share do. Share your here. feelings. What do you, how do you feel? Yeah. How does Ohio State offensive line recruiting make you feel? <laughs> it's, it's very much a work in progress. It's very much TBD because we have now reached that point where once again, Justin Fry has done at least what he should do, right? That's the entire 23 class with Padilla, Montgomery, and Sierra Bell was, all right, at least get those guys. We get it. Doug put you in a hole here. Try to go get Caden Proctor and some of these big-time guys, but at least do this so we're not completely pressing the alarm and panicking here. He's done it again with, with the Armstrong twins and Mark Nave, and then having Ian Moore in so quickly is a good thing. But as Nathan pushed back the first time I said it, and I agree with him, go. you don't have that built-in excuse this time of, listen, I understand you're in a hole. Try your best to dig out of it, but we're not going to blame you if you can't. They've got a hit on some of these top-tier guys. Brandon Baker, I've mentioned him a couple of times, the top tackle in the country right now. He was here in the spring. He'll be back for an official visit this June. And then obviously in the 2025 class, they got to stack this now. It can't be, whew. We saved the day in 24, and then we went back to doing what we've been doing in 25. They've got to stack these classes. David Sanders, I will continue to honk the horn for. He is the most important recruit in that 2025 cycle for Ohio State, regardless of what else is going on there as the top tackle and the number two player. If he can somehow swing Baker and Sanders in back-to-back cycles, you feel better about the future, even if you've still got to wait a year and a half to get to it. But those are just the start of the list. It's a long list of, like, they need six offensive linemen in this class, and I think they might need like four or five in the next class of quantity and quality guys because they've got to fix this issue. With the because I agree with Nathan, you still have to attack the portal, but 
but you can't live there. And the only way you don't you keep yourself from living there is two bigger classes with a lot of quality guys where you go, that guy should be in the mix for a starting job in year two. And there's not enough guys like that on the roster. But in the short term, you do have to live there or at least have a long-term lease because recruiting doesn't yeah. fix the offensive line in the short term. And I want to make sure that I'm mm-hmm. – I'm as I, all these guys that I mentioned before, the the Montgomery, Shibola, Cyril Padilla, Hensman, and those guys that Steve was just mentioning, like Ian Moore, I think all those guys are good offensive linemen. And But let's take this back to Thayer Munford again. As important as he was in that stretch, at any time was he Ohio State's best offensive lineman, mm-hmm. like in reality. There was always like one or two guys who were considered yeah, even be. better at the college yeah. level, if not just better at the college level, then certainly a better NFL draft prospect down the line. So that's kind of my point here is that they have the the peripheral guys. They have the supporting guys. They have, But those guys have always been, and when I say always, I mean during the Ryan Day era, those guys have always been attached to these studs. Like not not to use not to get confused with the Greg Stadrawa uh, nickname, but like you know Josh Myers, Wyatt Davis, Donovan Jackson, Nicholas Petit Frere, who I know took a little longer to come around, Paris Johnson Jr. Like it's always been these guys that had a lot came in with just real gravity with their name and with their play pretty quickly in their careers. Like by the end of year two and in year three, they're starters and people are talking about them like all Big Ten. Like it and we're not seeing that element right now. And I think it's a crucial element. Or maybe we'll find out that's not. Maybe there's a way we can argue through this that that isn't as critical. But just that's how Ohio State has built these teams during the Ryan Day era that are in playoff contention until the last week of the year. At worst. So it is, when it works, it's a mix, right? Because they have had sure. in-state guys who have been really good for them. Thayer Munford's an in-state mm-hmm. guy. He's a four-year starter. Paris Johnson's a five-star down the road, you know, Dewan Jones is a is a diamond in the rough in Indiana that they go and get, but that's not a huge pull to have to go do that. Donovan Jackson is a Texas kid with Ohio ties, right? That you have mm-hmm. some of those, but we also have to acknowledge that Luke Whipler was just a guy in Jersey that they went and got, right? Matthew Jones was just a guy in Brooklyn that they went and got. Wyatt Davis was just a guy in California that they went and got. Once upon a time, getting Jamarco Jones out of Chicago was a gigantic get. And there was a lot of apprehension right at the end of his recruitment as Michigan State going to steal him. And they landed this top 100 national player who's a big-time tackle out of Chicago who wound up being a two-year starter for Ohio State. You know, Taylor Decker's down the road. Pat Elfline's an underrated guy, and Billy Price is an Ohio guy, and Michael Jordan was when they were winning stuff in Detroit, and they went and did that. But Stephen, like, it's a mix. Mm-hmm. So th- there, we understand that Justin Fry came in and got the three best linemen in Ohio last year with yeah. the first class, and we understand that they've locked down three Ohio kids and an Indiana guy already. But if you don't have the other part of that, it's it's got to be a balance. Probably in the end, your best line is going to be five starters, probably three and two, right? Mm-hmm. Three Ohio slash Midwest guys and two national guys or three national guys and two Ohio slash Midwest guys or a guy with family ties or something. But And like that's not where they are. That's not where they are with the national recruiting. And, and this is how it – right? You get a dip at the end of somebody because, again – who got Wyatt Davis? Who got Luke Whipple? Yeah. Who, like, stud got some of these guys. Mm-hmm. So you have a dip at the end of one guy, and then the other guy comes in and has to get his feet under him a little bit. But that time is done for Justin Fry. 
So this class and the next class, it's go time. You have to, this is what you're saying, Stephen. Yes. There's got to be a White Davis. There's got to be a Luke Whipler. There's got to be a Jamarco Jones. There has to be in there. It's, it's non-negotiable. Or this is not going to get solved, Stephen. Because it's, it's, it's never going to be leading the other way. We're never going to have a situation where Ohio State has too many national offensive linemen. That's just not the world they get to live in as recruiting. But there's always a chance it can lean too hard. The There's too many in-state guys where the projects for the first three or four years. Dewan Jones is a great project. It's, it's a great story, even if it didn't end the way that maybe it should have ended had he and his camp maybe handled some things some other ways. But the fact that he was a two-year starter, that's a great Midwest project. But – you don't want too many Dewan Joneses, quite frankly. What makes it a great Midwest project is Paris Johnson was the number one tackle in his recruiting class, and he lived up to it. What makes having Brandon Bowen as your right tackle, you have Wyatt Davis, Josh Myers, Jonah Jackson, Thayer Munford along with him. Same thing. What makes it okay to have a Luke Whipler, Nicholas petit Frere, Thayer, Thayer Munford, Paris Johnson. When you have that paired together, that's when you get the best at Ohio State, and they're leaning too far left in a place that you don't want to ever be leaning, especially we can, you can never live in the world too far right. Of two, You're never going to have Wyatt Davis, uh, Zach Rice, J.C. Latham, and then whoever the top. You're never going to have that at Ohio State. Bama might have that. I don't even think Georgia can pull that off, and they don't have to. They're in the SEC. Bama's probably the only place that pulls that off, but you have to get back in the middle. Because when you're in the middle, Ohio State's had some pretty darn good offensive lines here over the past decade. And that's where Stud was. And then as you get older, you know, things happen and you don't do it as well as you used to do it. I, I will say, though, like, offensive line recruiting is tough. You've got to come up with five starters at all times. It's a big room. And they have not since since Paris. Like they're, it's, not like they're, it's not like they're missing out on the five stars in Ohio or the top 100 kids in Ohio, yeah. right? Like they're just, they're having, there's been a little bit of a dip at that, at that position in this state right here too. The thing that they could maybe have their, their fallback backbone thing for a while, they could just count on there being a guy kind of there waiting for him. Like Josh Myers was not a difficult recruitment. I don't think like, you know, uh, Paris was a little bit more complicated because of uh, the, the coaching transition that went on there. But but still, like it's it's th- that's not the same as going and getting Wyatt Davis and getting Josh Myers makes it easier to go get Wyatt Davis. So they haven't had that thing here that's just sort of bailed them out a little bit the way they have, for instance, on the defensive line a little bit where you could have, you know, Jack Sawyer's right here um, in the backyard and he can you're getting both at the same time. So when it, they all of this. Those those coaching changes were happening also right at the moment where Ohio took its dip at that position and that further exposed some of the shortcomings that were going on. I'll say just might also be due for the how'd you pull that guy? There have been nine five star offensive linemen to come to Ohio Ohio State. I'd say four or Kudos to the offensive to the offensive line coach for just getting it done. Or even I'll throw Ryan Day in there because he's why Harry Miller came. Harry Miller, Wyatt Davis, uh, Michael Brewster out of out of Florida, and then Derek Morris out of North Carolina. The other ones, Nicholas Petit Frere went to high school with Greg Shiano's son. So that's how that ends up working out. Paris is Paris. Alex Boone's from Ohio. 
Donovan Jackson has Ohio ties. Mike Adams is from Dublin, Kaufman, Ohio, which is five minutes from where I live. So the, the rest of these guys have reasons where it's almost like it's weird if you don't get them. There's not enough of these like top tier offensive line targets where it's just like, how did you pull that off? And I think Ohio State, it's been now four cycles since you got Harry Miller in here. You're probably due for that. It doesn't make sense how you got him. Your assistant coach was just that good at recruiting. I want to make sure we're not putting our eggs all in the five-star basket either, though, because that can be, as we've discussed before, if there's only yeah. a few in a given year, and one's from Texas, and one's from Georgia, and one's from Florida, uh, you're you're fighting an uphill battle to get those guys. But as you project out what the 2024 2-deep might be, if Luke Montgomery's not a starter, then nobody, as it stands right now, would be a top 100 prospect having come out of high school. Shibolo was very close. I think you could probably project him to start somewhere on the offensive line in 2024. He was 104. That's the, that's the highest. Not even a top 100 player. So we're not even talking about five stars. That's what we're really talking about here is the, the complete turnover of the talent in that room. All right. Let me throw out an idea right after this on Buckeye Talk. So, Nathan, what you said right there, if Luke Montgomery is not a starter in 2024, like, I don't think that can happen. I think he's going to start. The Mm -hmm. conversation might be, how good is he? Like, whatever. But because what can happen? I'll just give a couple examples. Because, again, as as we've gone through, I've talked, you know, I've studied probably 12 different teams in spring football now for the College Football Survivor Show. And I've, I've focused on the tackles. Because of what's happening at Ohio State, I've really focus on the tackles with a lot of those teams the two guys the two teams that we focus on the survivor show this week one is notre dame joe alt's the left tackle okay he's probably the best tackle in college football projected top 10 pick he is a third year guy he's in the class of 2021 he was the number 400 overall recruit and they just developed the heck out of him and he started a little bit year one, and then he was a full-time starter last year as a sophomore, and now he's the best left tackle in college football. Their right tackle is Blake Fisher, who was a top 75 national recruit and also played a little bit as a freshman, started last year, and now they have two guys. Their starting tackles last year were two true sophomores who are now going to be the starting right, the starting tackles as true juniors, and they just recruited them and developed them, and they're set. Notre Dame is set at tackle. So it's like, how do you do it? I mean, you just recruit guys and develop them. One's a top 100 guy, one's not. But Joe Walt, right? Put Joe Walt. This is like, oh, give, Joe Walt is a third year guy who was the four hundred number 400 recruit. Put Joe Walt on Ohio State's offensive line. A lot of other stuff starts to come into focus pretty quickly. Let's look at Oregon. Their left tackle this year is going to be Josh Connerly who is a sophomore, true sophomore, and was a five-star recruit that Oregon won the recruitment for. And their right tackle is going to be a Johnny Cornelius, who is a transfer from Rhode Island that Ohio State would have cut off Justin Fry's right hand to get. Everybody wanted a Johnny Cornelius in the first transfer window. Oregon won. Oregon graduated both their tackles, who were very good a year ago, but they're replacing them with the second-year five-star and the transfer portal guy who is a sure starter, and they're set. So as as dicey as it can be, Nathan, Luke Montgomery in 24, and I, you don't want to put too much pressure on one guy, right? And anybody can be abducted by aliens. 
But the way this goes, right, this is not a play. As you said, there's not a bunch of top 100 recruits in that room. But if the top 100 guy that you have is ready to start in year two, listen, they were at Notre Dame, and you lock down left tackle, or maybe he's the right tackle, but you lock down one of those, and the other stuff just falls into place. Or if you get one great transfer, that's a sure thing. And maybe Simmons, maybe Joshua Simmons is going to be that. I don't know. It can fall into place, but right now it's very, uh, but if Luke Montgomery and Joshua Simmons are the two starting tackles for Ohio state in 2024, based on the fact that they maybe played a little bit in 23, they showed out in practice. Justin Fry is really excited about them. It could all fall into place. So it's not a sure thing to be a problem a year from now, but there are some guys that have to come through. And when it happens, it just now all of a sudden, okay, well, you got to replace Matthew Jones at right guard and there's four candidates there and none of them are a sure thing. Fine. But you really believe in Montgomery and Simmons at tackle and it just soothes everything. So that's possible, Nathan. But as we sit here right now, we don't have much evidence of any of that. No. And again, coming back to this conversation I had with Greg Stadrawa that I thought was informative in some ways because he, I was asking him about Luke Whipler. And we were reminiscing about that preseason camp in 2021 where Whipler was coming along. And then Whipler was a top 150 prospect. So, so you know, really solid. Um, but that was his second year. And he was they were, like, excited. They're like, oh, like, he's really taking a step forward. Thank God he's got plenty of time. Harry Miller's our starting center. Luke Whipler's got a whole nother year to grow into this. And by next year, who knows what will happen. This was Harry Miller's second year as a starter. Maybe it's time for him to go because he was such a highly – if he really blows up. And then all of a sudden, Harry Miller has to step away from football and has things that go wrong. And all of a sudden, it's like, I can't remember the exact quote, but it was like, hey, tough break. You're going. Like, that's what it is. Like, whether you're ready or not. But as Steven alluded to before, you got to nestle him in between all these other NFL-ready offensive linemen or close to it with with Munford and Petit Frere. You you, you are Munford playing left guard on that team. So, like, it, it now you're talking about a situation where you're almost hoping that this, that someone like, Luke Montgomery makes this big leap in one year to sort of rescue the line where you used to think about it the other way. You used to think about, Hey, that top 100 guy, Matt, Matt Jones was a top was like the number 78 recruit in the country or whatever. And like number one center prospect in his class. And he got, got to, or had to, whatever you want to say, like it took him four years to be anything really in this program. And you were kind of like, yeah, that's what you do at Ohio state. Cause look how much offensive line talent you've got. And now you almost start to think about it the other way. And so I don't think you're wrong. And I think especially if Luke, if they're not in a position to, to play around with this, right? Whoever proves that they're the five best offensive linemen have to play. And if that's a second-year guy, so be it. It's happening right now at center with Carson Hensman, potentially. But it's it's a tough wall to be back up against where you're almost like you you need that to happen in a way where you used to look at it as – or in Ohio State's coaching staff used to look at it as almost the other way it was like let that let that take as much time as it needs because years three and four can be the money years and now it's almost like you're good and we need you to be really really good by year two because maybe you're the savior for this thing that's a that's a tough thing to put on somebody I know right now we're, we're having like a talent acquisition and what's on the roster talent conversation right now but just the Doug you were bringing up Joe Alt. Uh, and Josh Connerly and Olu, I'll throw Olu Hoshanu in this situation as well. Those, these are not guys where those are not top 100 recruits, right? They're all better than 
their recruiting rankings say so. Olu Pashanu is actually ranked in the same category as where Grant Toutant was. They're both in the 400s. So how much of this is a what are you doing on the recruiting trail and how good are you there versus the development conversation? Because, like I said, Olu Fashanu has become a five-star player, and he was nowhere near that as a recruit. He was closer to what Grant Tutant was as a recruit. While one of those guys, he's in year four, and it doesn't even look like he's in the two deep, and the other one of those guys might be the first tackle taken in the draft a year from now. Yeah, no, there's there's definitely a development conversation that's part of this that I think mirrors the recruiting conversation, that as mm-hmm. they simultaneously weren't recruiting as well on the offensive line at the end of the study era, I think they weren't developing as well on the offensive line. Now, but it's hard because, like, well, they developed the heck out of Dewan Jones, right? And Luke Whipler, yeah. like, kind of got developed, like, hey, you better be ready to go, and then he was ready to go. So, y- you know, I do think there is a development component of it, and when you look at where Pat Elfline was ranked as a recruit. When you look at what Jacoby Boren did compared to his recruiting ranking as a center for a national championship team, Ed Warner, who gets got mad when I talked about offensive line recruiting, Ed Warner at the end of Ohio State fell off. They they had some big misses in offensive line recruiting, but there was a time when like Ed Warner was an excellent offensive line coach who was was like really developing guys. And yes, he was developing Taylor Decker, who was a top one hundred national recruit, but he was also developing. Pat Alfline and Jacoby Boren and Daryl Baldwin and Chase Ferris and other guys like that who who weren't maybe viewed the same way and turned into good Ohio State starters. So there this is just Justin Fry, and this is this is what's going to be interesting about this, Nathan. We all we joke about, talk about whatever. Justin Fry is here to get ready to be the head coach at Indiana. Whatever. Indiana was the only school in the Big Ten that didn't have a guy drafted this year. Tom Allen watch, start the watch. The end of his watch is nigh. It doesn't mean Justin Fry is going to get it. That's a, you know, people will want that job. Big 10 has lots of money to throw around, but they really could use, I think, if Justin Fry is good. And I don't know that we have proof of that. I don't, we certainly don't have proof that he's bad, but go win a big time national recruit. You know, he's, he's fine, but it's, it's just basically too early. Still, the grade's still incomplete. They really, I think, could use Justin Fry to settle in here. Nathan, and you wrote a big story on Justin Fry last year. Again, if we were going to go through like the most important assistant coaches on Ohio State staff or the the coaches with the most to prove or whatever, there's a lot to what Justin Fry needs to be for Ohio State as the offensive line coach. Yeah, and and, and Kevin Wilson's departure only further emphasized a lot of those things, whether that's mm-hmm. recruiting on the offensive line, whether that's being a, a big part of the run game um, in the game planning each week. Like, this is going to be a big year for for Justin Fry. And I remember when he was hired, looking back at his history at UCLA and, and also not seeing a lot of major recruiting wins. Now, that was also a, a juncture where UCLA, you know, Chip Kelly's coming in. They're, they're getting their feet under them. They're trying to get things restarted. Um, so I could be, you know, there may have been somebody on the way out the door that was, was the, a pickup there that really helped them. I don't know, but I think it's, it is fair to say that if you're going to recruit at Ohio state, you can't recruit Ohio, the state, (laughs) like you have to, but you can't, that can't be what you make your life on your career on. You have to go recruit the guys and say, when we come and play in the national championship game in Los Angeles or in Arizona or the bulls in, in uh, Georgia and Florida and Texas and the playoff games that your family won't have to go far to come see you. Like those are the guys you have to win. 
and you know it's it's happening on this staff at other places and it needs to start happening on the offensive line and i think it's it was completely fair to give justin fry some leeway at the beginning the same as it was perry aliano and tim walton and other guys who were coming in but you've you got to go win those battles like that's it's those battles are how you win the battles on the field See, but even with that it's like i don't know what's hurting them more this year not having that guy or not not having the Paris Johnson who lives in Texas on this step in this room or not having a Dewan Jones because they don't have either in this year. And in years past, they've had both. And I don't know which is more detrimental long term here, especially at a position that's already developmental. So we're talking to, to, to answer the is Luke Montgomery the most important player? Yeah, because he needs to be a top 100 recruit who's ready to go in year two. But I don't think he's any more important than Austin Cerevel might be as a guy who is rated lower but can show Justin Fry's ability to develop guys and be the other side of what we've seen Ohio State to be. No, that's true. Yeah, I mean, like, what's more important on the offensive line, recruiting or development? I mean, both. And this is – this is, and there have been studies about this because Ed Warner DM'd them to me. That like offensive line <laughs> recruiting, there's a lot of misses in offensive line recruiting, right? <laughs> well, you have to who recruit a lot of guys. Like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Just, who has been in your DMs more upset with you between Bill Davis and Ed Warner? No, no, no. Like Ed Warner is like the only one who, who okay. whoever, uh, whoever had a comment about it. Um, <laughs> that there are misses in offensive line recruiting. So actually, I mean, I think there are certain places where you could say recruiting is more important. Right, like uh, skill position places what, typically. Yeah, right. I mean, it's not to take away what Brian Hartline does in development, or what Tony Alford does in development, or what Tim Walton does in development. But there's some baseline stuff of, man, you better be able to move and have hands and that kind of thing. I do think probably right. I mean, offensive line development, I probably would rank a little higher than the recruiting, but it's it's got to be both, and. At the moment, kind of what we're getting to is we're not sure it's either because what we're banking on is they have the developmental type of players, maybe, right? The guys they have in this class on the offensive line might be very good players, but they probably need to be developed because there's no sure thing five stars. And we don't a thousand percent know that Justin Fry is absolutely going to develop those guys where I do think by like the peak of Ed Warner at Ohio State, I think you had a pretty good handle on like Ed Warner is going to get these guys to play before they made him call plays. And you know, when you when you really look at like whatever the peak of stud was, if you're going to line up a group and say, look at this group right here. What are we talking about? Thayer Munford as a four-year starter? That's stud. Luke Whipler being ready to go? That's stud. Dewan Jones as a recruit in the thousands? That is stud, Nathan. Like he, you could line up the group from 2021 mm-hmm. and say, well, yeah, Paris Johnson's in there and Nicholas Petit Frere's in there. That's two five stars. And yes, Luke Whipple was a top 100 guy, but he had to play earlier than expected. So it's like there's some developmental wins and there's some five stars. And maybe we could look at the 2021. Just do that. It's the perfect Ohio State offensive line. It's two five stars. It's two developmental guys, and it's one highly ranked recruit who had to be ready earlier than expected and was. Bing, bang, boom. Stud, stud, stud. And now here we are, and we don't have that, Nathan. 
Yeah, and some of this also is it, it's it's interesting to have this conversation in May. We came out of a spring where the tackles didn't look great. And, you know, Carson Hinsman looks good at center, but some of that is relative to what options they have at center right now. And that's the because they're the development thing might be happening like Josh Fryer. If he's a competent starter, that's development. And if Carson Hinsman really is ready to go in his second year as a starting center, that's development. And it's more development than recruiting in, in either of those cases. So. This is a little bit of a TBD situation. We'll see what happens this summer, and we'll see how these guys look this fall. But as we're casting out into the future, you can't you can't say that this is the way that future championship Ohio State lines need to be built. Like at some point, you have to start reeling in the big fish because they do it at every other position, and it's the standard at every other position. We we did it. We figured it out. It's the it's okay if you have one Luke Whippler on your offensive line. The guy that he probably shouldn't be playing this year, but he's ready if you need him. And they got tested with Luke Whipple when he was ready. The, there's too many Luke Whipplers in 2023, and not enough of them are ready. Like Luke Whipple and Tegra Shibola are the same recruit to me. They're both right outside the top 100 in a situation where – Maybe they have to play this year. Maybe they don't. And in both situations, they might actually have to play this year because there's nobody else. Now, that might change because Joshua Simmons is here. But there was a time when Tegra Shibola might be their starting right tackle, and it hasn't looked good. So you can't you, – if you have one – Carson Hensman's another Luke Whipler, where it's like you weren't maybe expecting him to be ready to go in year two, but now he has to because Luke Whipler is gone. That's too many Luke Whipplers. One Luke Whipler, quality offensive line. Two or more Luke Whipplers, you're putting yourself in a situation where you might be in some trouble. I'm just remembering the time when it became apparent that he was going to have to start. And I was like, is it Wipler? Mm. It's Whipler. If we think about the idea that in 2019, Nicholas Petit Frere, as a five-star second-year guy, didn't win a job. Mm -hmm. And Paris Johnson in 2020, as a five-star first-year guy, competed for but did not win a job because Nicholas Petit Frere beat him out. And right now, Nathan, if either second-year Nicholas Petit Frere or first-year Paris Johnson, super mega five-star, were competing here, be like, well, I think they're almost certainly going to start, are they not? But that's a little bit of that conversation we're having. I think those either of those guys, NPF in year two or Paris in year one, could have been ready, would have been ready if necessary, but Ohio State had guys who were better than that and played in front of them, which was a nod to, well, okay, pr- pretty good depth. Like, oh, who's your backup? Uh, our backup's a second-year five-star. Nicholas Petit Fair, you ever heard of him? He's the number seven recruit in the country. He's our backup, right, Nathan? Like, that's the thing. that, like, And I do think what can happen sometimes if you're in a dip like this, and we talked about it, right, I think we saw – the dip that we saw in the secondary, we just, you, everybody, Ohio State fans, I think you just lived through it. And I think they're coming out the other side of this. Because when you think about in spring football, we were like, oh, six safeties, good to go. Oh, four, five corners, good to go, right? That's what we thought in spring football. They're out of the dip. Look at the NFL draft the past two years. They haven't had a guy in the secondary drafted in two years. They're, they're coming out of mm. it. They're in the dip right now on the offensive line. 
we knew the we knew the secondary dip was coming, and we could tell you exactly what happened. Because Kerry Combs left, and then he came back, and in the middle, and Tabor Johnson, oh my gosh, and the transition from Ryan Day. We knew why it happened, and it happened. Did it stay a dip? No, it didn't. It kind of it feels like they've gotten it back a little bit. How did they get it back? Well, they brought in Davidson and Bignosin as a transfer. That helped. How'd they get it back? Well, they developed a recruit in the 300s into a guy who's going to be a three-year starter at Ohio State. They're, people are predicting as a first-round draft pick. How'd they get it back? Well, they brought in Jordan Hancock and J.K. Johnson as top 100 national recruits. One of them left, but one of them's still here, and they have high hopes for, right? How did they do it? Development, recruiting, transfer portal, and now their feet are back under them. That's the path out. Right, Nathan? If Justin Fry's like, oh man, what am I gonna do? Let him like let him sit down with Tim Walton and like the guys who sort of help get this back together. We can see it, but we have to acknowledge the dip while we're in it and what it might cost them. How it could, not for sure, could hold them back. But do we think the secondary dip had an effect on Ohio State football past couple of years? I think we would say, yeah. Right, that the defense wasn't up to the standard, and that was part Perfect. of it. I don't know if anyone watched the Michigan game last year, right? I mean, so like, there's <laughs> there's parts of that that were real. So it's not alarmist, but it also doesn't mean it's forever. But I do think what can happen, Nathan, is you end up with a couple guys who have to play early. Them playing earlier than expected and holding it down lets you reset everybody behind them. So you know what they need? They need a Denzel Burke because the quarterback room was like mm. Denzel. Okay, here's what's happening. Seven Banks, I, we, he's not going to play. Legend Cavazos and Ryan Watch, we're going to try them. We're not so sure, though. Could you maybe play every game? Could you start every game of your entire life here as long as you're healthy? Denzel Burke was like, yeah, I got it. I'm good. Now, was he an All-American right away? No. But Denzel Burke holding down a spot, Nathan, like gave him a little time to try to figure out all this other stuff. Maybe Luke Montgomery could be there with Denzel Burke, right? They, but they just... They have to patch it together until they can actually figure it out. And we're outlining here, how do you figure it out? Recruiting, development, transfer portal. Denzel Burke, Jordan Hancock, Davis, and Igbignosin. That should be coming for the offensive line, Nathan. We just haven't exactly seen it yet. And by the way, like it has to happen. It's not an option. I can't stay how it is right now. No, I think there's a lot of parallels. And the the one thing that that room hasn't had yet is its own five-star to really cap that off. We'll see. This is supposed to be, obviously, Steven can go into this, but this this is supposed to be a big cycle for the secondary in, in this, especially in-state. They've got some help. But but I think there's some other, there is some other parallels here in that, you know, uh, even with top 100 guys, you don't bat 1,000. So you bring in J.K. Johnson and Jordan Hancock, and really only one of them works out. But because you have the other one, now you've at least you get one of the two. You um, when you, you go from a time when you're not counting on guys like they just went through a period where like Cam Brown probably had to be more than what Cam Brown was. And if, even if you take away a lot of the physical stuff with him, like they were asking him from an earlier stage of his career to be something that he wasn't quite ready to be yet. And maybe he couldn't quite ever be. Whereas now when you start stacking the room, right, someone like Jair Brown doesn't have to be all everything very early. Like he gets to come along at the pace that someone who is recruited at that level gets to come along at. They're still missing the big difference maker that you can just drop in over the top, the way Sonny Styles might be, the way CJ Hicks might be at some of the other positions on defense. But 
they've they definitely what is happening there is still and the way that they remade it is still a level above because I don't know that I don't know that what they're getting on the offensive line in terms of transfers, either Simmons or certainly Cutler before him, is quite what Igbenosin is going to be to the cornerbacks this year. Like we saw Davis and Igbenosin, as soon as we saw him this spring, we were like, oh, that's a thing. Like, look at how big he is. And like, he's playing well and making plays. And like, we'll see if these guys do that well on the offensive line that are coming in this, this, this fall. It's, it's like, it's, it's a version of what the cornerbacks did, excuse me, but it still needs to be kicked up a notch to really even get to how the cornerback room has been remade here these last couple of years. I thought that was poetic. The cornerback room is literally the embodiment of how you fix a room. When you get a new coach, you get a new coach. You get one guy that you had to develop, that's Denzel Burke, who ends up being better in this ranking. The recruiting is the Jordan Hancock, top 100 kid. And then the transfer portal is the is Davidson Ibnosin. I think with offensive line, though, I don't know what to call it, but there's an extra step that has to be involved because the development takes a little bit longer. While whether it's running back and just like, oh, we had some bad years at running back, but then we just threw Travion Henderson in the mix and it fixed everything. And then you just got James Peoples. It fixes everything. Wide receiver. Oh, we just get Garrett Wilson and it starts this run of five-star receivers who come in here. Cornerback, skill position places, just having a random dude that you weren't expecting to play end up playing can fix things. It can be a, a quality band-aid, maybe even stitches or a, one of those medical staples, staples or something like that. You need multiple band-aids, multiple doctor's visits to fix offensive line because it's more guys and the hit and miss ratio is a lot steeper than it is at other places. And so I don't know what that four step is, but they it's, it's going to be, it has to be more than just one freshman is ready to go when you maybe should, he shouldn't maybe have to be ready to go. All right. We're going to get to a couple, a couple texture questions that help drive us this direction for this offensive line discussion. We'll do that next on Buckeye talk. All right. So we wanted to talk about a couple of these things that these good questions from our text subscribers, 614-350-3315. If you want to be a tech subscriber, it's a two week free trial. And then it's $3.99 a month after that. And so you get like our little tidbits, our analysis. You know, you get to take part in surveys that we talk about here in the podcast. We do a Q&A rapid fire. You get to ask questions for that. Just keeps you connected to Ohio State football during the offseason. During the season, it's kind of a different animal. But during the offseason, it's like, oh, maybe I'm not thinking about it. But if you want to think about it, boom, we're in your phone. 614-350-3315. You get a link. You sign up. Two-week free trial. From the 937, what do you think the chances are that the offensive line is actually excellent at run blocking? Josh Fryer is a tweener who projected as a guard. Many thought Tegra Shabola would be a guard too. Could be the opposite of 2021 when they played four tackles and struggled with run blocking. Part of me thinks they might really have to lean on the run game. And the other part says Marvin and Mecca heartline day. But maybe they should run more. That's Jared and Springboro. Like the idea, Nathan, of, you know, 2021, they played four tackles. But Thayer, Munford, and Paris Johnson had to play guard, even though they really were tackles at that point. They might wind up playing four guards this year. That Donovan Jackson's a guard and Matthew Jones is a guard. And if Tegra Shabola and Josh Fryer wind up as the starting tackles, I think it's possible that they are both better guards than they are tackles. What do you think of that idea, Nathan? And should it affect how Ohio State goes about calling plays on offense if that's the case? 
Well, as we've as we've talked about before, like Ryan Day likes to run the ball. Ryan Day likes to be a strong running team. I, I, it's it's not a perfect parallel because what it what run blocking is at tackle isn't always the same as what run blocking is at guard. You sometimes have to go out and do things in space in a different way. That was obviously one of the things that made Dewan Jones the prospect he is is the way he could go out and lead a you know lead off the edge the way he did. And, and Thayer Mumford did it well, I thought, the other way when he was a left tackle for a long time. Um, I It's just – it's tough because that right now the identity of this team, as much as they want to be um, – you know, as much as they have a couple of good running backs that they like and, and, and as we already had a whole pot about, like the running game is still a priority, the identity of this team is developing quarterbacks and um, and Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka and – and Julian Fleming, like that's the identity of this offense. So you have to be, you have to find five offensive linemen who let you maximize your identity. I don't think you can sort of put that in your pocket and pull it out every once in a while and just go by and, and build your offense around what the offensive line is better at that. I, I don't know that that's what Ryan day is thinking right now either. So let me ask a, a companion question here, Stephen, that's kind of part of this. This is from the 425. I asked this a while back, but I'm not sure if I've heard your thoughts on this. Do you think that the offensive line issue may be a determining factor when Day chooses who the starting, starting quarterback will be in the fall? If the line situation has deteriorated to the point where we assume it has, wouldn't that necessitate a more dynamic runner behind center? And doesn't that favor Devin Brown? So that idea... So this is like, there's two things at once. So, so Nathan was talking about, I don't know, like, do you run the ball more if you have a bunch of guards? I don't know, Steven, would you have to think about a quarterback who can scoot a little more if you feel like the offensive line maybe is going to have some pass protection issues? No, I don't think that'll be as big of a variable. And I don't think it should be because there's a lot of other stuff that the quarterback has to be able to do. I do think it might impact some play calling in some situations. The one thing I I noticed a couple of things when we got a chance to watch practice. Defensively, I, the big nickel situation where Sonny Styles is in the slot as a safety sometimes. But on offense, especially in red zone situations, a lot of read option, regardless of who the quarterback was. And a lot of like pulling on the read options, which I think defensive players are getting a little ticked off that because they can't, you know, tee off on the quarterback. I think even JT was like emphatically loud about the fact that mm, if you're going to let him run, then maybe we should be able to smack him a couple of times. He said it with, and it was a little bit more already than that, but I'll save that. But a lot of read option and red zone situations. So I think it might impact the play calling and some of these short yardage situations, even though I'm still team play action and throw that thing long every single time. But I don't think it's going to have much of a deciding factor in whether or not Devin Brown or Kyle McCord wins the job. Because yes, Devin Brown is a better runner than Kyle McCord, but I don't think it's that much where it's like you're choosing Justin Fields versus Dwayne Haskins from an athletic standpoint, that it should be that big of a factor. I do think both these questions together in the end, it isn't going to affect the personnel you choose and it isn't going to affect like the overall things you want to do offensively in terms of like run versus pass but I do think you can't take as many downfield shots if you don't think your pass protection can hold up. So maybe you just have to, you're still going to throw it to Marvin and Emeka and Cade Stover and Julian Fleming, but you just get it out of the quarterback's hands a little bit longer. But it's like, why would we take a five or seven step drop and hold the ball and let somebody try a double move to get down the field for a 60 yard bomb. If we feel like there's no chance 
that the protection is going to hold up. So all of a sudden you're running crossing routes and bubble screens and getting the ball out of the quarterback's hands. I think that's potentially realistic. I, I do remember this when in 2008, and it's an old reference, when they went from Todd Beckman to Terrell, Terrell Pryor at quarterback and they made that transition after the USC game, it corresponded with an injury in the offensive line. Steve Raring got hurt at guard and they were going to start Mike Brewster at center. And the offensive line, as a true freshman, Mike Brewster, who we just mentioned earlier in this podcast, the Brew Crew, and they had not had a very good game on the offensive line against USC. They were kind of after Todd Beckman all day. And Trestle wanted to get to Terrell Pryor anyway. But he did say, like, kind of off to the side, like, hey, listen, man, like, the, the offensive line, well, we have to have a quarterback who can move. So that, in his mind, was a little bit of, okay, if the offensive line isn't going to hold up, we've got to have a more mobile quarterback or we have no shot. Now, that's a five-star freshman that everybody was waiting for anyway. So it's a different conversation than Kyle McCord versus Devin Brown. I think it's more you just don't have whoever the quarterback is hold the ball as long if you maybe have some questions about the offensive line holding up in that way. One more here from the 419. Ohio State has at least three and likely four NFL linemen playing last year. These new guys have been blocked by extraordinary players, and it's now their time. A lot of Power 5 linemen with experience are not as good as the new Buckeye untested linemen. The Guardians were criticized for not making moves at the trade deadline last year. I love cross-sport comparisons. But they were ultimately proven right because the young talent they refused to trade is better than the veterans they chose not to acquire. The same applies to our offensive line. I have more confidence in the Buckeye coaching staff and personnel and their evaluation of talent and the quality of these guys. The guys we have will be good and are better than rejects from other power fives. This line will be fine by Notre Dame and will be a world-class line by Michigan. It's nice to hear fans who are enthused and believing in things, Nathan. Does that feel on the table? Because listen, Donovan Jackson and Matthew Jones returning is a nice place to start at guard for sure. Is that, could we, could this be something that is a big May conversation, but is not really an October conversation, Nathan? Well, I think I was making a, a version of this in some of the conversations that we had about the transfer portal that just because a guy who was a, not that highly ranked guy and was a starter somewhere in the big 12 or the sec even that, and now is transferring. Do I assume that guy is better than Josh Fryer? No, I don't because you know, Josh Fryer was, was definitely blocked. Like there wasn't a place for him to start last year. If you had swapped those guys out, Josh Fryer might've had exactly the same season, but the flip side of that is, does that mean there's a ceiling of, of production you're going to get out of that position and and all of this discussion was only things could have happened this spring such that we're not having this podcast right now, right? Like we could have seen a more consistent level of play from the tackle positions this spring and the offensive line in, as a whole. And we would be having right now a conversation about, oh, Justin Fry's really got the ball rolling in the right place developmentally. What's coming uh, from a recruiting standpoint you know what i mean like the, the conversation would be very would be framed differently but right now the reason we're framing this this way is they got the end of the spring they're still in a semi-desperate position looking into the portal and are they going to be in that same position in december and it seems like they might it seems like they might still be casting around for some other upper echelon talent to be out there that comes in 
because that's just not available for them in the short term. All right, last one, Stephen. I'll end this one towards you. This is from the 616, and I feel like we talked about this a little bit with some of the Ohio State and Michigan comparisons we've done on recent pods. Is the problem with offensive line recruiting at all scheme-related? I remember Urban talking about the quarterback spread option and saying the offensive line loves to run it because the offensive lines, uh, they don't know whether it's a run or a pass, so they just get to run block and knock guys off the line, right? Mm -hmm. This is some of this RPO stuff. like, I don't know. Whatever's happening back there, I'm just going to destroy somebody. With all the passing that Ohio State does, are offensive line recruits not as eager to come? This is Brian in the 616. Love the pod. Great work, guys. Steven, what do we think about scheme and recruiting here? No, I, I understand where the question is coming from, but enough of offensive line play, especially at the NFL level, is going towards a lot of this RPO stuff that you're going to have to learn how to do it. And most of the programs that these top guys are in on, they do it. They do RPO stuff. Alabama does it. Georgia really does a lot of RPO stuff. Uh, USC does RPO stuff. Texas, everybody does it now. It was just so new to Ohio State in 2018 because you were moving in a drastically different direction that I think it was just talked about more at Ohio State than it was at other places. A lot of this is just simply, it's a harder thing to learn, especially when a lot of guys come from schools who just run the ball. So a lot of these guys come in with the ability to run the ball at a nice level, which goes back to the earlier question of, like, what if this team can be a good run-blocking team? Well, a lot of these guys are maulers in high school, so you assume they may be able to do it in college. While the pass blocking, you just don't get a ton of reps doing it, whether it's at high school or at these showcases, where it's not always a good you know, gauge of it because you're doing it without pads. So, no, it's not, it's not why. It's not a big conversation piece right now. A lot of it is just the relationship building fell off. And that falls off in enough cycles, you eventually have to pay for it. When I talked to Josh Simmons last week, and we were talking about what it was, it wasn't just in general leveling up the idea of coming to Ohio State that appealed to him. It was, I want to go face the best edge rushers in the country. You come to Ohio State, that should be the thing that you sell to every offensive tackle that you're trying to recruit, is you're going to be in the Big Ten Championship game, hopefully, or playing Michigan at the very least, and the guys that they get, you're going to be um, in the playoff now that there's a 12-team playoff. Like You're going to be facing the best edge rushers in the country most weeks of the year, and that's how you're going to prove yourself at the NFL level. That's so that's so, the, the way Ohio State plays and the level that it plays at should be recru- being a, a attribute. It should be a positive thing towards how they're recruiting tackles, and for some reason it's not. Just looking real quick. 2022 offensive line, offensive tackle, and I don't mean to be only obsessed with tackle, but it's where the biggest holes are for Ohio State right now. These are where the top tackles in the country committed, according to the 247 Sports Composite. North Carolina, Oregon, Texas, LSU, Alabama, Kentucky, Alabama, Texas A&M, Wisconsin. Tegra Shibola was an offensive tackle listed that way coming out. He was 104 in the country. So Ohio State got the 10th best tackle that year in 2022. So, you know, let's keep that in mind, but it's, it is one of those things. Okay. I, I get sometimes that Bama's going to be Bama, but like, uh, Kenyatta Goodwin, Steven is one of those guys that right. Ohio state, he's yeah. from Indiana, Ohio state danced with him a little bit. He went to Kentucky and then he went into the portal and it felt like Ohio state was not interested in him in the portal. I don't even know where he landed, but like, I don't know. It's not like every tackle goes to Alabama and Georgia and like, you have no chance there. Yeah, good was at Florida now. Um, 
just I had some short conversations with people when he went to the portal. Ohio State was not getting back in that race on, of their own. They didn't even try with that one, and that's because of how some things went during the recruiting cycle. So that's what it is. But, yeah, tackles go all over the place. I mean, Wisconsin does a good job of keeping when they've got top 150 t- tackles at home, outside the offensive linemen in general. So it, there's it's a – Offensive line, it's not necessarily always a scheme thing. It's more just relationship building and where guys are comfortable. So you can't really chalk it up to one specific thing on a year-to-year basis. Class of 2023, Luke Montgomery was actually listed as a guard coming out of high school. Yeah, they switched him in the last final update. He spent the entire entire high school career listed as a tackle. And then I think in the last one, they updated him to guard. That's why he fell from like 65 to 92. So he was, he's 120, the 120 overall player in the final 247 sports composite. Here are the tackles ahead of him as an overall player where they went. Caden Proctor, the guy from Iowa that was committed to Iowa, then flipped to Alabama and is like, man, Ohio State should have been in there better on that guy. Miami, LSU, Miami, Georgia, Penn State, Notre Dame, Alabama, Utah, Oklahoma, Georgia, Florida State, Utah. So there are 13 guys who were listed as tackles that wound up ahead of Luke Montgomery. There are a lot of SEC schools in there. And then that Olas Allen guy from Connecticut, who was a late commit, he was a 14th ranked tackle. He chose Alabama. Ohio State was trying to get him late. So that's who is getting the tackles right now. And they need to figure it out. And I think we outlined why. And they might, but they have some steps to take to do it. We'll catch you guys early next week. We'll be bringing you more stuff on Buckeye Talk. We're like into the off season, right? The draft is over. The portal's closed for now. We've kind of wrapped up spring football, but we'll find stuff to talk about. We always do. Make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash OSU and try the uh, College Football Survivor Show where we did a lot of wrapping up of spring football there. And um, we'll continue to find national college conversations to have on that podcast. For now, for Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug LaMaurice, and that was... Buckeye Talk.